Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. Let's get something straight from the start. The Milwaukee Bucks didn't lose Game 4 because they lost two-time league MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo to a hyperextended left knee about midway through the third quarter. Anybody selling that is giving the Bucks an alibi they did not earn. The Bucks' loss of Game 4 to the Atlanta Hawks, who started the game without their biggest star, Trey Young, was already etched in stone well before the play I'm about to reference. But I'm referencing it because it perfectly captured why the loss was etched in stone well before Giannis' departure. With less than five minutes left in the third quarter, roughly two minutes after Giannis hobbled to the locker room, Chris Middleton, he of the 38 points in Milwaukee's Game 3 win, and by some accounts, the Bucks' best player, took one of his seven three-point attempts of the night. It missed, as did the other six. Middleton then went for a steal at midcourt, missing badly. Being at the mercy of the cameras, I don't know where he went, but he was out of the picture long enough for Kevin Herter to launch a three, John Collins to rebound the miss, get it to Lou Williams, and Lou to pass it to Bogdanovich. Middleton returned to the scene at this point, but not soon enough to do anything about Bogdanovich burying his three-point attempt, putting the Hawks up 74-54 and prompting Bucks coach Mike Budenholzer to call a timeout. Middleton's missed three, then being a step slow on his ill-advised gamble, then even slower in his recovery, epitomized his effort all night. And 
set the tone for the Bucks collectively. They played as if they expected the Hawks to roll over without Trey. Despite having a size advantage, the Bucks lost the rebounding battle. Despite the Hawks only having one point guard with Trey out and having to play Lou Williams 35 minutes as a starter, the Bucks were out-assisted by a wide margin. Atlanta packed the paint, making it hard for Giannis to do his usual damage there before he got hurt, essentially daring the Bucks to beat them shooting threes, which is not one of their strengths. They are the worst three-point shooting team among the four remaining. But the Bucks took the bait, taking 39 of them and making eight, an anemic 20%. The Hawks took one fewer and made five more, largely because they moved the ball. Milwaukee played entirely too much iso ball, Middleton and Drew Holiday being the primary culprits. That Bogdanovich stuck the three as a final dagger was fitting too. Maybe you saw Marcus Morris talking about Jay Crowder being soft the other night after the Clippers beat the Suns in Phoenix to narrow the Suns' lead in the best-of-seven series to 3-2. Morris called Crowder soft, which tickled me because no one is tougher on the Suns, and no one has played Morris tougher than Crowder. I don't know why Marcus did it. Frustration? Taking a shot? I don't know. In any case... Bogdanovich didn't call Middleton soft. He just played him like he was. If the Hawks have reason to believe they can still win this series without Trey, and I would not expect him back anytime soon, having had a bone bruise in my knee, not to compare myself to Trey as an athlete or anything else, but those are far worse than a sprained ankle. In any case, Bogdanovich looking as spry as he has all series is one big reason why the Hawks should feel confident for the rest of the series. He bodied Middleton on defense every chance he had, and Middleton didn't fight back. Middleton is a finesse player on most nights, but in Game 4, he was particularly keen about avoiding contact. At one point in the first half, he caught the ball on the left wing, guarded by Kevin Herter. There was no one else on the left side of the floor defensively, and the closest Hawks defenders had their backs to the ball. If there was ever a chance for Middleton to drive, this was it. Instead, he held the ball and waited for Giannis to come across the lane and post up. Now, I'm sure that was the called play, but anytime an opportunity presents itself as golden as the one Middleton had, the plan goes out the window, unless you're playoff K in Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals, apparently. Look, I'm not here to kill Middleton. He's a nice player. What I'm here to kill, hopefully, is the trend lately of elevating guys into legends because of one or two performances. Middleton has had far more games like Game 4 than he has Game 3. He looked tired and uninspired from the start. I'm sure someone out there will point to his 39 minutes a night as more than a few people have for Paul George, who is averaging 40. But Middleton's played fewer total minutes than Booker, George, and Reggie Jackson. That's the world we live in these days. I suspect it's a byproduct of making guys legends and then having to explain why they weren't 48 hours later.
it's not because it's a new phenomenon. Guys having big nights and then following them up with mediocre or lackluster ones. That happens more often than not. What has changed is the overreaction to the big performances. Reminds me of a friend of mine I had in college. He was a goalkeeper on our soccer team. He was the king of superlatives. Everything was the best or the worst. The best tasting beer he'd ever had, the worst hangover from it, the ugliest shirt, the funniest movie. You get the point. We all got a kick out of it. We also took none of the pronouncements seriously. I'm pretty sure he didn't either. My friend was apparently ahead of his time. Now it's standard, at least as far as the NBA is concerned, to make a big deal about everything. The reality is that Middleton is reflective of the entire league. It's what has made these playoffs so much fun. There are no dominant players, at least none still standing, even among the stars remaining. Teams are winning because of the, they are getting the most contributions from an array of players. As I mentioned in an earlier podcast, these playoffs are shining a light on the work of the GMs in building their teams and the coaches in how they utilize their rosters. Now, it's not as sexy as talking about Devin Booker's Kobe Bryant-inspired tattoo or Trey Young being the next Steph Curry, but it's closer to the truth of what is actually going on. Devin Booker and PG, among the stars, the scoring stars still alive, are averaging 27 a night, and we are all aware of how up and down they've been. For comparison, Michael Jordan, even before he became a champion, delivered just about every damn night. His lowest average for a playoff run was 29 as a rookie. He averaged between 32 and 44 in eight of his 13 postseasons at a time when teams barely averaged more than 100 a game. In 1987, when he and the Bulls were swept by the Celtics in the first round, he scored 35, 42, and 30. This was in the age of best of five series in the first round. And this was in games in which the Bulls scored 104, 96, and 94 points. He was damn averaging a third or better of all the points scored by Chicago. The next year, when they beat the Cavs in the first round, he scored 50, 55, 38, 44, and 39. And all this was on his way to becoming a legend. There are plenty of ways to acknowledge a great performance without making too much of it but it requires appreciating the subtleties of the achievement and pointing those out. I'm not sure we have all that many people out there these days who are capable of that, quite honestly. Looking at how the points were scored, when in the game, against what kind of defense, those are the details that distinguish an outstanding performance. Ty Lu having the Clippers play a 2-1-2 zone that threw the Suns off, if only for a couple of minutes to give them an edge in their Game 5 victory. Subtly, but a big one. Appreciating the defensive versatility of Nicholas Batum, the shot-making of Reggie Jackson, the tone-setting of Bogdanovich. It doesn't mean any of them belong in the Hall of Fame, 
or have been vastly underrated up until now. It just means they're making more of an impact than their opposite numbers. I've enjoyed watching DeAndre Ayton show how deft he is at grabbing offensive rebounds and scoring in a multitude of ways around the basket. He's already better than I thought he would ever be. But are the Suns playing through him the way the Lakers did Shaquille O'Neal, the Spurs did Tim Duncan? Oh, hell no. I could count on one hand the number of times the Suns have thrown the ball to Ayton on the post and looked for him to draw a double team or make a move and destroy Batum or Avica Zubac before the double team could arrive. Now, he could get there, but he's not there yet. And yet, we're hearing comparisons being drawn to Shaquille O'Neal and Tim Duncan. The first time I saw firsthand a complete misinterpretation of what a player did was in the 2007 Finals, when Tony Parker was named Finals MVP for torching mostly Booby Gibson as the Spurs swept the Cavs. Parker scored 27, 30, 17, and 24 points in that series. He had 20 dimes and 12 turnovers. He made no notable contribution defensively. Duncan, meanwhile, was a monster defensively with 42 rebounds for the series and nine blocked shots to go with 73 points despite being routinely double teamed. Don't ask me to explain it. I can't. I just know that we are cheapening the whole concept of legendary performances by overhyping one-night wonders, particularly in this playoff run. It's not Middleton's fault, or PG's, or Booker's, or Trey's, or any other current star who has delivered on a given night. They're not taking anything out of context. We are. Middleton isn't the only one who has to try harder. So do we. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So now, here we are. Game six of the Western Conference Finals. The Phoenix Suns going to L.A. to play the Clippers. Looking to close out the series once again. And the Clippers looking to push this to a seventh game back in Phoenix. We know that Chris Paul is looking once again at the prospect of losing a series after being up 3-1. That can only happen if the Clippers manage to string two great performances in a row, which so far in this series, they have not quite been able to do in spite of how close the three losses were. Do they have that in them? We'll see. One thing is for certain, it will take a collective effort for them to get there. If it's Paul George Hero Ball, we've seen that movie before, and it does not turn out well for the Clippers. Meet me here, and we'll break it all down in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Even 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.